Um, welcome, everybody. I hope I'm coming through. Yes, you're fine. Okay, good. My name is Karen Campbell. I chair the Staffing Committee. Um, for those who need the code uh, for continuing education, it is 1B611. I'm sorry, can we just have, I, could you repeat that and say what the letter is? Because I didn't hear it. One Delta 611. <coughs> That's me, give it to me. And my husband raised around with the mic so people can introduce themselves. Okay, you ready for, ready for me to do that? What? Ready for I am, unless Lori, Lori wouldn't want to do. Um, I can do my rehab task force introduction when uh, when we get ready to start. Okay. Okay. Sounds then good. I'll go around the room and. Okay. Yeah. So people, are, I am totally blind. So you're gonna have to speak up and let me know where you're at. Right here. Who are you? I'm 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 Ray Campbell. I am uh, uh, the uh, I am the uh, I'm the go-to person for the Sassy Committee because I I live with the chairman. Snowbird people. Yes. Okay, I'll slide across to Carl. Okay. Okay. My name is Carl Richardson. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm just here because I have Usher syndrome, and I'd like to learn more about the Helen Keller National Center. Okay. Somebody sit next to My name is Nora Martin. Um, I grew up in Delaware. I was out in Colorado for over 30 years. I'm back in Colorado. I got one uh, iPad from the Helen Keller Foundation in um, Colorado, but I'd like to know more about the services that it offers. Can anybody see your left? No. Okay. Well, we It's Chris Hunsinger from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, Ray, you got it back. Okay, okay, and there's nobody else in here. Okay, and I'm coming to the center. Whoa, I think I'm stepping on something. I think I'm stepping on something. Uh, you got one right there. I know, I know who he is, but I'm a, we all want to know who he is. Here, Phil, here's the, here, Phil, here's the microphone. Introduce yourself. Well, okay, thank you very much. Mm, is this thing working? Yes, you're, you're, you're coming through loud and clear. Okay. I'm Phil Jones, and uh, I am uh, from Georgia. I am, uh, I just got a cochlear implant a couple of years ago. You'll hear more about that later on today. But uh, that's where I am right now. Okay. And you're just going to right back to me there. Okay. And let me get these fine ladies back. Two Cecilies back here. Cecilina for Jr., Covington, Georgia. Cecilina for Senior, Covington, Georgia. Nancy Murray from Albany, New York. And um, I just lost, started losing my hearing about three years ago now. And I'm still a customer. My name is Ashley. I'm an employee at Leader Docs for the Blind from uh, Rochester, Hills, Michigan. The other Rochester. Yeah, the Rochester. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Emily. I'm also an employee at Leader Docs for the Blind in Rochester, Hills, Michigan. I am David Laughlin, also from Leader Docs for the Blind, and I'm the director of program. But I'll say as far as he, him, I don't think he's originally from originally from Rochester. <laughs> and then what about this gentleman here? 
Hello, Ray. This is Dan Spoon from Orlando, Florida, uh, the officer liaison to SASE. I just wanted to say, I have a wonderful meeting and I have to run off to help my wife get ready for the auction tomorrow. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Um, is, that every, is that everyone? Yes. Okay, Karen, that's everyone. Ray, would you like me to shut the doors to keep the ambient noise out? You guys want the doors closed to keep the noise out, ambient noise? Probably. Yeah, probably. probably yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Keep the cold air in too. But. <laughs> okay. I'm going to turn it over now. We are co-sponsoring this program with the Rehabilitation Issues Task Force, and I'm going to turn it over to Lori Sharp, who is both a member of the SASI committee and a member of the Rehab Task Force, and she will take care of further introductions and get us going. Lori, take it away. Thank you, Karen. Um, I'm Lori Sharp, and yes, I sit on both the uh, SASE, which stands for Sight and Sound Impaired Committee, as well as the Rehabilitation Task Force Committee for ACD. And I've been on the SASE Committee since Pittsburgh, whenever that committee was. 2003. Uh, 2003. Wow. That's because I said, I'll help you find an interpreter. <laughs> and I, that's primarily because I knew the person that was going to be there. Um, so yes, um, and I've been on the Rehab Task Force probably for about four years. And Doug Powell, who is the Rehabilitation Task Force Chair, was un unable to be with us today um, as he <coughs> has a meeting with um, one of the other affiliates, I didn't write that down and I can't remember. Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. Oh, Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, I'm being told. Um, so um, I just will mention the members of the Rehab Task Force um, in the event that people after this meeting may have things they would like to bring to the Rehab Task Force um, or for further discussion. The members are Paul Edwards, who is from Florida, Eva Fairchild, who is from Texas, Darian Fleming, oh, from Oregon. I was like, or, no, it's Oregon, Lori. Bob Pache from Massachusetts, Chris Hunsinger, who's here with us today from Pennsylvania, John, and I have no clue how to say his last name, so I will spell it, it's M-C-M, a H O from Maine, Megan Parker from New York, Ken Stewart from New York, Sharon Strazikowski from Massachusetts. from Massachusetts, Mikey Wiseman from Florida, and David Trott, who is our um, board liaison and Claire Stanley, who is our staff liaison, and Claire is uh, part of the advocacy <coughs> team at ACD. What is that <coughs> list of people who are all, why, why did you leave okay. all these? Deb is asking, why did I name all those people? They sit on the Rehabilitation Task Force for ACD, and oh. the task forces uh, through ACD are appointed by the president. So we serve at the uh, privilege of the president, I guess you would say. <clears throat> so sitting up here today with me is Brian Ward from the Helen Keller National Center. And um, I'm going to turn the program over to him and we're going to just let his two interpreters introduce themselves. Uh, they will be voicing for him. Thank you so much, Lori. This is Brian, um, and I'm gonna be signing to you. I'm gonna be using two interpreters. Um, you'll notice different voices happening while I'm signing. I'm a great ventriloquist. <laughs> <laughs> the interpreters have names. Um, one of them is named Terry, and the other is named... Kalina. There you go. Okay, so we are going, this is Lori again, we are going to be um, running through uh, some questions that have 
been that have come about. And um, so I'm going to start by having Brian tell us a little about the National Center, the Helen Keller National Center, which is located on Long Island. Um, I'm from there, so I know quite a bit about it. I've done some trainings there, and I um, I've done some work with clients after they leave there um, for for a variety of reasons. So I'm going to turn it over to Brian to start by telling us a little about an overview of their different programs they do. Hi, so this is Brian, and indeed I work for Helen Keller, Helen Keller National Center. Um, we've been in existence for over 50 years, and we are based in Long Island, Port Washington. Um, Helen Keller National Center provides services all over the country. We focus mainly on individuals who are both deaf and blind. Um, or becoming deaf or becoming blind. Uh, we provide trainings for job, for rehabilitation. Um, we, our basic goal is to provide the resources and the skills necessary for the individual to be able to live independently and work independently, have a job, go back and forth between work and home, cook safely, eat safely, you know, have friends, do things, you know, be alive. So we, um, you know, we're working on the center, the headquarters for the center is in Long Island. And we work with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. We provide services. First, we meet them one-on-one -on -one and find out what their needs are. And then we provide services on a one-on-one -on -one basis as well. Okay, and can you talk, I'm sorry, this is Lori. And can you talk a little about how services are provided on the national level, maybe a little about the regional offices, and also a little about the wide spectrum of clients that you see at the National Center. Sure, yes, yes. Um, we have 11 regional representatives, which cover the entire United States, including Puerto Rico, uh, Virgin, the Virgin Islands, um, any U.S. Guam, the, any U.S. territories, and we provide references to advocate services in their local area. So, if someone needs services, basically what happens is the regional representative will meet with that person in person, one on one. They will provide information. They will. They, that person knows about what's available in their state and in their local venue. Um, they will provide uh, references, referrals to local services. Um, and if they need more specific support services, they will know where to refer them or they will provide advocacy services in order to help them get access to the services they need. Um, in Long Island, there very often people will come to our site for training. We partner with a lot of different organizations all over the country. So on the West Coast, people would have to fly to New York. That's, that's crazy difficult for some people, right? So we have partnerships with other organizations in California, on the West Coast, in Puerto Rico, in the various territories where they provide the services as per our requirements but they you don't have to always come to Long Island and can you this is Lori again and can you speak a little about the wide spectrum of people you serve we think sometimes people think oh I don't have enough of a vision loss or I don't have enough of a hearing loss to qualify for services can you describe what levels or what kind of people and what level of functioning they're at that you may see at the center or within the communities? Yes, yes, no problem. That's a really good question. And it's one of those harder to answer questions. How do you know if you're qualified, you know? So basically we focus at the Helen Keller National, um, the Helen Keller National Act was passed in 1969. And that was what founded the Helen Keller National Institute, National Center. And basically, they require a documented loss 
um, vision loss of some kind, but a documented audio, audible loss of some kind. Um, visual loss needs to be 2200 corrected in both eyes. 2200? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So legally blind gives you, legally blind gives you access to be qualified on the vision side for Helen Keller National Center. Um, deafness does not, is not decibel or loss dependent, right? If you have a hearing problem and you're 2200, you're definitely in. So, and we provide services according to where you are at the time you come in, at first contact, right? So, I have Usher syndrome. I am completely deaf and I have low vision. So, they look at me and they say, these are the needs you have right now with where your vision is right now, considering you can't hear anything. And they provide services to where I'm at right now. And if it changes, then I come back and we start over. Thank you. I, communication services also are considered because depends on if you have been hearing your whole life, your first language is English, you're going to speak in English, you're losing your hearing, there needs to be maybe an FM system involved, maybe some kind of other supported communication system involved in order to be able to help communicate with you. If you're deaf, depends on which language you use, if you use signed English or if you use ASL or if you are migrating into tactile, uh, close vision. All, the whole range of communication is considered when working with the individual. This is Lori again. Thank you, that's exactly where I wanted to take that. Um, <laughs> I think way too many people don't understand that it's, it's not, um, it's, it's, it's more about in the federal definition um, which the National Center was founded under, it's not, the vision and hearing, it's the combination of how the two link together. So um, as a person, right. yeah, as a person who is congenitally blind myself, um, <clears throat> put me in a place like the exhibit hall here, or even in my room with the loud air conditioner and all the white noise, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any hearing loss, but because of all the ambient noise, I function on a lower level auditorily. Whereas, you know, that's more the type of thing. I personally would not be eligible, but in a situation where maybe you're using hearing aids and you have no vision and you're really struggling, people in the vision field a lot of times don't understand how the lack of hearing impacts your ability to function as a person with either changing vision loss or, or total blindness, um, you know, in, in every aspect. Well, they tell you, they tell you, listen to the pot boil. Well, if you can't hear that anymore, it ain't gonna work. <laughs> um, you know, they tell you, listen to the traffic as you're crossing the street. If you can't hear the traffic or your field of vision is now down to 10 degrees and you can scan as much as you want, but it's really not safe anymore, what do you gotta do to make that more safe for yourself? Um, you know, at the, at the National Center, they're really trained staff that are able to understand the client's level of functioning and looking at the whole client as opposed to a piece of the client. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Can you describe a little about the evaluation process that occurs? Sure. Yeah. So the assessment, basically, the evaluation um, is fairly standard when you first start. When they first come in, the representative, or when a person goes to Helen Keller National Center and stays overnight for the, when you come in for that assessment, um, they check out your technological your ability to capitalize on technology, right? So, the staff will start their, start your evaluation to figure out where you are right now, what skills you have, where you're weak, 
how well you see, how well you don't, how well you can use your hearing or whether you can't. Are your assistive devices working for you as well as they could be? Um, there's a team that will learn who you are in your world and how you interact in your world and try to identify skills and competencies and technologies that are available that we can teach you to make life easier. So like with mobility, with regards to mobility, you know, how comfortable are you walking out on the street? How comfortable are you catching a train or a metro? How comfortable are you um, interviewing for a job, getting to a job, you know? Um, how comfortable are you cooking stuff, you know, more than boiling water? <laughs> Let's, I mean, how, how comfortable are you living in the world and taking care of yourself as an independent human being and not just getting by? This is Lori again. Um, and how long does, at the residential program, how long does the evaluation process last? Well, um, they have gone anywhere from one to six weeks. And basically it depends on the financial ability to pay, right? If who's paying for it. So most of the time, one to six weeks is the range of time that people will come and stay at Helen Keller. This is Lori again. That was a fantastic segue because my next question is how are services covered and who determines how those services are covered? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I can go a little bit more into that. Money is the biggest challenge. I'm sure no one is surprised, right? Most of the time, the students are going through vocational rehabilitation. So VR has money under the WOIA, Workman, Work Office Information Act, which was just passed a few years ago. That money is set aside specifically to help people get to work. And so if a person is having difficulty getting work, they need training, that money can be used to cover the training that Helen Keller National Center offers. Um, other monies it are sometimes agreements. You know, We look at the person's goals. These are the things we can offer you. What are your goals? This is how much it'll cost. Sometimes we'll have you come and you do an evaluation and we figure out that your goals can be achieved at your place of residence at your home you don't have to stay at Helen Keller and that saves money so you can go home and get support there um, other other ways is there's some situations allow for paid training some of the some are donations various foundations collect money and they you know they support an individual to come through the training this is Lori again. He's, he's, he's okay. The interpreter was moving the electrical outlet away from him. I thought my dog was going to nest in the tablecloth because she's cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time she did that. So WIOA is the Workforce Investment and Opportunity Act in 2014, which changed a lot of things on the federal level for the vocational rehabilitation system. Um, the rehabilitation task force of ACB, um, obviously as an advocacy organization, when those regulations were being promulgated, we worked uh, very closely with people, with our affiliates, I should say, throughout the country to come up with our concerns on WIOA. Um, <clears throat> focusing on things like homemaker closures are no longer successful closures. A homemaker is right. somebody that is providing services to somebody in the home. Um, in the community rehabilitation system, 
they really vary state to state because it depends on how the funding comes through. Does the National Center serve individuals who would have like homemaker as a goal to, <laughs> to care for their children themselves just to function on a day-to-day day -day basis? So, that's a really good question. It depends on the state you come from. Some states, like in New York, we have a commission for the blind, right, called the New York Association for Blind. Um, and if you're 60 and up, um, right, you can come for three months. You get three months of training for homemaker. If you're deafblind, um, or deafblind plus, meaning you're cognitively disabled or you use a wheelchair or um, you have other disabilities along with being deafblind, you can go. Then there's no, there's no specific limit on how long you can come in. Um, those are good examples of people who are getting work that's not W for, for workforce. But if it's workforce, it's got to be related to work. Um, I know um, at the National Center they do have, and I don't know the correct wording, I just know people who have done the program. So I'm going to probably butcher this, but I'm sure you can enhance on what I'm going to say, Brian. I know I can, do, I can do that. <laughs> I know they have an apartment off-site that once they kind of an individual graduates yes. from the on-site residential, it's like a step up, but there's still support. Could you talk a little about that? Yes. Yeah, sort of. It's called the AIM apartment in the mainstream. And basically, this is for students who have come to training. They have completed their training. They're almost ready to be set up free independently. They've got three months of practice, right? They'll go in that apartment, and they will be in the apartment independent with support if needed um, for in order for them to be able to practice complete independence, make sure that they can pay their bills, make sure they can get back and forth to work, and make sure they can go to the shopping on their own, make sure that they can cook and they don't burn the house down, you know. <laughs> make sure they can live. And that program would be available to individuals who complete the vocational portion of the rehabilitation <coughs> training or also for seniors. That's a good question. I think AIM is only for those who have come for work um, employment related. I'm not sure that senior, center, senior citizens would qualify for the apartment, um, AIM apartment. We have dorms with apartments, with kitchens, um, and I think that senior citizens would be put into those dorms on site. AIM would be more specifically for the people who are there for training for employment purposes, for work and independence. What does AIM stand for? There's a question from, I think that was Deborah. Deborah. Um, AIM is what? apartment in mainstream. Apartment in mainstream. Um, I know that the National Center provides training to professionals in the field of rehabilitation. Can you talk a little about those services? Since we have a few professionals here for continuing education credits. Sure. <clears throat> um, we have a department at Helen Keller National Center called the IRPD, Information Resource Professional Department. The department specifically provides curriculum and education through meetings, workshops, courses online, 
in a variety of ways to specifically trainings for mobility, for mental health, for interpreting, technical training. Basically, there's a lot of stuff that's offered, um, and you can find out about it more on the website. Um, they have conferences, they have workshops, they have online trainings, they have webinars. You can come to the institute or to the the center. Um, but if you look on the website, you'll be able to find out a lot more about that kind of training. Okay. And do they provide any services at the National Center to families or to um, younger children that would not be, a, you know, like 18 years or older? <coughs> That's a really good question. Um, we provide services to the complete range of people, all right? But generally, 16 and up is what we're looking for looking for for the programs that I'm talking about. We have family services for children that are deafblind through Helen Keller National Center. Um, they have traveling family support people that go and meet people in their homes and work with them. So we do have services that we provide to families with children. Um, they have online meetings, they have workshops, again, you know, they're using the internet a lot to be able to bridge the distances between people. But yes, we do serve younger people as well. Okay. Um, um, you also, at the National Center, administer the Deaf Fund Equipment Loan Distribution Program. And that is available nationwide and in the U.S. territories under the uh, tele Telecommunications and Video Accessibility Act of 2009. I'm wondering if you can talk a little more about those type of services that would be available to individuals who may financially qualify and benefit from those services. That program is called the NICC and it's also called Connect. I can, I, can, I can Connect. And at Helen Keller National Center, it's only statewide. Other states go through agencies. Say that again. It's, it's a partnership, the Helen Keller. So Helen Keller National Center, oh, so, I'm, so now I'm going to be voicing what he's saying. Helen Keller National Center in New York is only for New York. They are, there are other agencies in other states that provide the same services, but they're not specifically Helen Keller agencies, right? We provide equipment to both deaf and blind and for low income individuals. If they meet specific financial guidelines, at the below the poverty level, then we can provide equipment and training um, in order to enhance their communication abilities. So if you go out, um, telephone, internet, those kinds of equipment are available to people who have a need um, but cannot afford it on their own. This is. Deborah, oh, can you just wait for, a, we're going to do questions in a second? Okay. I, I have. Uh, what, one moment. We're, we're going to do questions in a second, right. and yes. you need to have a microphone before you speak. Yep. Okay. So it's not a I just want to okay. follow up on something that Brian said. All right. So the um, I Can Connect program in several states, uh, the National Center is the agency that holds the contract for those states. You can actually look on the federal communications website right or at the, on the national center website and, and see what states are covered in, in some of the smaller states it's the division of deaf services or blind services for that state that covers it um, but that would be a national uh, program that's available to people and right. i think the cutoff brian is what 400 percent of yeah. the federal poverty level that's correct 
Yes, so that's it's, correct. It's, it's Can no you repeat that? 400% above federal poverty level. Thank you. Which is about so $60,000. I'm gonna, hold on, I'm gonna pull up my work file while I. That is what it is. It's, it's about 50000 yeah. for the um, And it's, this, it, it This also, is Ray speaking, yeah, and people off the mic are saying it's about $50,000. It, it just went up this year, so I don't know this year's figure. Um, but it also um, an individual with a declaration from Social Security, um, you know, that kind of helps their case even when they're kind of on the borderline. So of eligibility. <clears throat> so even if you think that you might not be eligible because you have a little extra income coming in, you very well may be. Um, and I now I think we'll open it up for questions. And if you the, can just this is speaking, and if you want, go ahead, Laura. And just before you speak, you need to say who you are so that um, we know who you are. I'm Deborah Kim. One moment, okay. and you need okay. to have a microphone. I was just taking applause. Okay. okay. You people are you people are excited here. This is this is Ray speaking. <laughs> Hi. Um, I'm going to give the microphone to Miss Deborah. Thank you. Well. I, um, I'm extremely familiar with the I Can't Connect program. That's why I was eager to say something. Um, when the program was first passed into law, I became very excited about it, went to a lot of presentations, and as a journalist, wrote several articles for a variety of publications, and um, ultimately became an I Can't Connect trainer in Ohio. Oh. So, <laughs> um, so that, so I'm, I'm very familiar with it. And um, there is, every state has a program. It's just that not every state's program is um, coordinated by someone in that state. Because some of the smaller states, um, actually Ohio, uh, we're sort of co-coordinated by um, Deaf Services in Columbus and, and Perkins in, in um, Massachusetts. So, but if, if anyone who's interested in it, it's such an amazingly wonderful program. If you go to iCanConnect.org, you will find your state and you will find contact information for your state. And um, I, I haven't been training for the last year because of some medical issues of my own, but I just helped someone um, in Florida get connected with this. Um, the program there recently, so I know that that 50,000, uh, the 400 percent above poverty level for a single individual, it is still about 50,000, and I think it's 68,000 for a couple. So it's pretty generous. It's pretty generous. Um, I think lots of people qualify, and um, and and so the I Can Connect trainers will come into your home and assess what you need, bring you equipment and teach you how to use it. So now that I've blathered on with that, can I ask a question? Because I want to know about HKMC. <laughs> uh, and that, my question is, um, Brian, you said that in New York, a person would be covered by the Commission for the Blind to stay at the center. What if, you are coming from, what if you're in another state? Will rehab, um, if a person is a both rehab client with the Division of Blind Services in another state, do other states typically support training at HKNC for, for their people? All right, this is Brian speaking. Um, I'm not sure what services they pay for the services or the training, you'd have to contact your local um, representative, right. see. so you'd have to contact representative and they would know which agency will support sending you to Helen Keller National Center. Uh, we work with many different states and many um, organizations and there's many vendors who provide training as well. Um, oh, I'm not sure about Ohio, again you'd have to con connect with your Ohio representative and see which agency you could work with and what they would provide and go from there. This is Lori. It also sometimes depends on what state you consider 
your more primary disability. Um, so for example, maybe in a situation where you needed somebody that was fluent in ASL, they might tell you to go through the division of, of hard, hard of hearing uh, for that state. But ultimately, the Rehabilitation Act would tell you that you have the right to choose as a consumer as to which agency should serve you, uh, meaning within your state. Um, the harder part is that you, if your state does not hold a contract with the National Center, um, it may take longer to get services in place because that contract would have to get worked out first. So it might be in a particular state, it might be the Commission for the Blind, but you want your services from the Commission for the Deaf, so they would have to open a contract with the National Center. So it, it's very state specific, um, but they do basically serve the whole continental United States and the territories. So this is Carl. In the case of Massachusetts, it's the Commission for the Blind because if you, once you become legally blind, all it doesn't matter what your disability is, you automatically become a client of the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind. And I know for a fact that they send several clients, several deaf-blind clients to the Helen Keller National Center and the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind does pay for services to go to the Helen Keller National Center. Okay, I'm gonna go uh, next one of the, this is Ray speaking and while I'm going over to Nora, I was just gonna say that uh, I know in Illinois that we've had, it's been interesting uh, kind of a debate because there's, we will send people, but our bureau also wants to get people trained to provide the services because a lot of our people don't wanna wait to be able to go to New York. So I'm coming in over to Nora now. And before, this is Lori, and just before I, we answer that, um, because you did bring it up, Ryan, uh, Ray. With regards to wait times, Brian, um, do you, could you speak about to get into the residential program? Is there like a, a small waiting list, or um, could you speak a little about that? If not, you don't have to. Yeah, no, this is Brian. Honestly, it really depends. That's the answer, it depends. Um, as far as the wait list, I'm not really sure. Really, what what it works, what the problem is, is the process. So there's some who are medical needs, some vaccinations you have to have, and other things that you might have to, qualifications you have to meet that would put you on a wait list that would make you have to wait longer to get in. Typically, it's not a very long time. Um, it's just important that you have everything ready when you apply, and then the state will approve that, and then it will all work out, and they'll decide on how long. But I want to warn you that summertime typically is packed, so there's many different programs in the summer for the for the youth. Um, there's short-term training. There is uh, internships. There's a lot of things going on, so they typically fill up really quickly. Fall and winter time typically is a little quicker if you apply then to get in. Nora? Okay, this is Nora, and my question is about funding for, for instance, equipment for people who do not need to come to a center that all they're interested in, all they need, and all you evaluators determine that they need is support at the local level for equipment, technology, etc. Uh, as we all know, funding is the problem we wish would go away, but it doesn't. So, are there, do you have caps for individuals? Is it if whatever the, the evaluator says you need? How do you determine, because you can't give everybody the moon, the sun, and the stars, so how do you determine and what are the limits as far as being able to get such uh, equipment from the Helen Keller National Center? Thank you. Okay, so just to cl clarify that the Helen Keller, kind of, are you talking about the HKNC or are you talking about I Can Connect? I Connect. I Connect. I Can Connect, I, okay. I can connect. okay, so for I Can Connect, they do have 
So the Hawthorne National does not run that. So I want to emphasize that the state programs, they have their own training for each state. So they're not going to send you to another state unless there's a special circumstance. Um, there is some states are remote, so they're very small, so they'll send you elsewhere. Um, the state programs that they have have to meet, uh, you know, what you, where you're comfortable, whether that's at home. Um, so they can come and evaluate you and train you, or you can come to the center and be evaluated and trained. It really depends on financial things. It's very complex, <coughs> all that stuff. Um, the state will decide how much equipment or how many technological assistive devices you might need. And again, it's, it really varies with the consumer, varies for each individual. Some states are small, so they don't have a lot of funding. Some states are bigger, so they're willing to give more money for that. Um, it depends on the size of your state and how many people live there. You know, the population of the state is also a factor. So some states will provide one or two pieces of equipment for you, and other states will give you everything you need and um, you know meet your communication needs. Uh, as far as financial, there's a cap of about if you're again 400% over the um, poverty level, the federal poverty level, then they'll give you um, an auto you'll automatically qualify and you'll automatically have. Uh, social SSI, not SSDI, but SSI, Social Security Income. Yeah. And then you'd have Medicaid, that's also something that we automatically qualify for, and military, it would be retirement. Um, as well as food stamps, which is under the SN SNAP program. Or you might also be in Section 8 for federal housing. So if you're getting those, then you automatically qualify. Yeah. So it'll look at, they, they won't look at your income, they'll see that you have these things, so you automatically qualify for federal services. So I suggest you look at the website. It's, it has a lot more details, because it's a really <coughs> complex thing. Um, and you can look directly at your state programs, what they provide and how it works for your state. For me, I'm at the Helen Keller National Center, and in, we have it in New York, it runs in Iowa, Florida, and Hawaii. And then in the West, we have it in Guam. Um, and that's more of a, we work directly with the individual. This is Lori, I just, I'm gonna say that with uh, the IP Connect program, myself and Roy Campbell actually had, had a lot of involvement because Eric Bridges, our executive director, was on maternity leave when that it became a, a uh, permanent program from when it rolled over from a um, what's the word a pilot. Uh, pilot thank you a pilot over to a permanent program. Um, it's there the the guidelines for eligibility are the same throughout the state with a supplemental security income that is an automatic qualifier because you in turn automatically are eligible for Medicaid and whatever your state calls food stamps, what we used to call food stamps. And in New York, we actually call it SNAP now. So I just wanted to clarify that. I'm a certified benefits practitioner. Um, so there's a lot of confusion in that area for people. I just wanted to clarify those terms. This is Ray, are there any other questions? Yes, I have one. Okay, I'm gonna to come to Chris Hubsinger next. Okay, here you are. Um, I have a question. I hear in the blind community, as we get to age-related hearing impairments, those who say, but I can't afford those $6,000 hearing aids, and they want two of them, and they probably should have two of them so that they would be a little bit more balanced and only have one. So are they going to qualify for help? I know that when you have a job, you may be able to get hearing aids through rehabilitation services because you can't do the job if you can't do what you're supposed to do. But uh, as you get older and you don't have a job, your health insurance won't pay for your hearing aids. So will these people also qualify for hearing aids through? No. This, this is 
Deborah, 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 wait. First of all, we have to let the interpreter finish interpreting the question, and you need a microphone. So let's let Brian answer the question, and then we'll come back through those services. And that's that's it. Okay. Uh, this is Brian. That's a good question. Um, so for that situation related to the hearing aids, um, it's very common for senior citizens and it's part of our services. So there's two things. So first, we do have a program called Older Adult Services. Um, it's run by Mark Armstrong. And he's responsible to advocate for people who are senior citizens or who are veterans. So he is, uh, he is more <coughs> familiar with all the states and what their services are. And he helps um, for people to get hearing aids at a lower cost or for free. And then the other thing is at the Helen Kelly National Center, we don't really have a program to provide hearing aids, but we do have referral services. Um, I just want to throw in a tip that one organization I met with a month ago, a very cool organization, it's called uh, Starkey, Starkey, Starkey Foundation, and they will provide hearing aids for free and free services um, if you meet their criteria. You'd have to look at their website, Starkey Foundation. Uh, they provide all the information there, and so you could look at that. Deborah, did you want to say something? I did. Okay, here you go. I, just in the interest of sharing, um, I have worn hearing aids for 30 years. Um, I'm probably on about my fifth or sixth pair. And every hearing aid that I have owned has been purchased by vocational rehabilitation. I have always worked and I have always been self-employed. And as such, every five or six years, I go to um, state services. It has always been Ohio until this last year when I became a, a resident of Florida. So in Ohio, I went to the Bureau of Services for the Visually Impaired. I said, I'm self-employed, I need new equipment, and that equipment includes hearing aids, and they have purchased them. I think my first pair was in 1989 or 90. Um, the only difference in Florida was that they were faster to respond than Ohio. And instead of the Division of Blind Services purchasing my hearing aids, they said, we will purchase your Braille note taker, but you need to go open a case at Vocational Rehabilitation and they will purchase your hearing aids. And that's exactly what happened. I recently joined an email list that I would recommend to everyone in this room who has combined hearing and vision loss. Um, it's a wonderful list. It's called Blind Hearing Aid Users. It's at groups.io, so Blind Hearing Aid Users at groups.io. Um, as the name says, it's all people with combined vision and hearing loss, but I have learned a great deal from the people on that list. And what surprises me is no one else has gone to voc rehab for hearing aids. And I, I don't, if you work, it's part of what you need in order to continue working. So, and it's a shame that I can connect will not buy hearing aids and Medicare and health insurance will typically not buy hearing aids. So I think it's, it's Ray speaking at another place to get hearing aids and people for people that are having difficulty getting them a lot of times the Lions will purchase them or they also have programs that um, I know in Illinois they do I don't know if it's national or national or not where, where they actually they get reconditioned used hearing aids that they make available to people um, they can do that in the US and uh, glasses you can too but um, <coughs> there's some other more hoops with that but anyway with hearing aids I definitely if you have people that are needing to get hearing aids uh, check out the Lions uh, another good source of uh, uh, very interesting are there any other questions this is Lori I'm just going to add a comment um, 
the um, any philanthropic local organizations. There's also an agency called the Foundation Center, which has an online database, and they list, I don't even know how many thousands of places that do, that are like family philanthropic organizations, um, you know, that sometimes have the ability to cover those types of services in smaller geographic areas or uh, within communities. So. Um, and other organizations like Kiwanis. Um, there are some hitches when applying for hearing aids through rehab, and in some states, based on the changes in federal regulations, it's not always as easy to get hearing aids, um, especially when you're self-employed, it's a little different. Um, when you're not self-employed and you're employed through an employer, a lot of times there are many other factors that come into play. Uh, with regards to the I Can Connect program, hearing aids are medically descri described. Prescribed. That was not an interpreting <laughs> error, Brian. That was Lori's stupidity. Um, so, uh, medically prescribed devices. So, it's um, it can't be provided through I Can Connect. Okay. Um, are there any other questions? Otherwise, I have one. Okay, this is Ray, and my question is regarding I Can Connect. It's my understanding that any equipment purchased or provided through that program has to be for communications purposes. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay, correct. That's correct. Okay. That is correct. This is Brian. I want to emphasize that um, the equipment includes um, anything for communication. For example, whether that is a tablet or Braille, or if you're listening to music. Um, typically, you would use that piece of equipment for communication, then that would be something they would provide. That's the key, that is for communication, correct? It, this is Lori. It's not only for telephonic communication. Um, I think sometimes people get confused when they learn that the Federal Communications Commission is involved. It's for face-to-face -face communication and different things like that. Um, we have a this is Ray speaking. I'd like to just take a minute. We have another person that has joined us, and he's from a company that's doing some really great work. So I'd just like to give him a chance to introduce himself. Thank you, Ray. Uh, my name is Venkatesh Chari. I'm from Orbit Research. Um, we are the developers and manufacturers of the Orbit Reader 20 Braille display. And um, uh, I guess I is it okay for me to ask a question? Sure. Sure. Go right ahead. So. Uh, uh, the Obitreader 20 is a is a braille display, and we would like to make it uh, available uh, through the Icon Connect program. And uh, we've had some conversations about this in the past, but uh, uh, it'd be great if uh, someone could uh, guide us in how we can uh, make this possible to the to across the states. This is Lori speaking. And I spoke with you last year. Um, and you have a cool braille tablet with you, right? Yes. Exactly. Okay. You said yes, exactly. Um, so um, there is, there are devices that are uh, specifically uh, outlines that are already approved, and maybe. Um, you can have a conversation with Brian at the end about the approval process, only because the, I don't think the consumers need to hear all the technical difficulties. As a hearing blind person, I love I love the orbit, but I think the braille pins coming up and down are a little too loud for me. Yeah, well, if you weren't a hearing person, it would bother you. I can't read in bed and have people know that I'm reading under the covers. <laughs> there is that. Those to the gentleman in the back who asked about the approval process, I'll be happy to exchange my contact information with him because I actually serve on the FCC Disability Advisory Council with the FCC. Yes. So I can talk and to that was Carl speaking who forgot to say who they he was. Oh, this is Carl. It's Lori who also forgot, but I just have to tease him because I haven't had a good chance yet. <coughs> no, Lori likes to give Carl a hard time. <laughs> and this is Ray, who's actually being good today, and usually forgets to do that. Um, 
Are there any other questions or comments that uh, anybody has for Brian? Okay, hearing this none. Brian, I just wanted to mention something very quickly about the okay. Orbit Reader, that it has already been approved by the ICC. Um, last year we had that discussion. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know. Okay. <laughs> I'll follow up after. Yeah, let's, let's have that discussion. Maybe yeah. I'll so, so let me, I'm just going to, I don't know, were you, sir, were you here for the whole presentation? No, unfortunately, I just came in oh, okay. a few minutes ago. Oh, only because um, I, di I just wanted to say that, uh, I thought it was, but I didn't want to say that Brian confirmed it. Um, yeah, it, it, and I think what may be happening is it's getting purchased by the iClean Connect program, and you just don't realize it because you're not seeing like the invoicing and that type of stuff. So it, it may to you like when you sell when it gets sold and it goes to um, Virginia, for example, where their division of flying services does the purchasing. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's going to somebody who's blind with no other specifications, okay. but they purchase the equipment there. I see. Got it. Is that correct, Brian? Yes. This is Brian, and yes, that is correct. Thank you very much. This is, this is Ray. Are there any other questions? It's Deborah Kendrick. May I ask a question? Are there any others? You've had three, you two chances, so I want to give anybody else a chance. Okay, Deborah. I don't mean to give you a hard time. I know. I, I feel like I'm really offending somebody, but um, I would like to know more about um, the Helen Keller National Center. You mentioned when you were talking about people coming through rehabilitation there, you talked about them sort of graduating into an apartment, which is a familiar um, rehabilitation model. But I'm wondering, is there only one apartment? Can that only happen for one um, student at a time? And if not, how many? And um, yeah, yeah, basically that. So this is Brian. Um, we have two AIMs. We have two. And then we have the dorms, which are, I believe, open. We have about 30, uh, between 35, 36, somewhere 34 to 36. Um, some rooms are modified for different programs. So I'd say we'd have about 34. It's safe to say we have 34 rooms, uh, apartments in the dorm so um and it's with with a roommate and most of them you will will not have a roommate most of the time this is ray i just want to make a comment oh i'm sorry okay. let me just please um there is five five what is it five what five apartments five style i believe it, it stands for student independent living experience we call it s-i-l-e mm -hmm. Um, so that, that would be where the students stay in the dorm with support there during their training. They have the support that they need and they have rules they must comply with. And then the AIM departments, are, that's a separate program. Off-site. It's off-site. This is Lori, and it's very hard to find that building. <laughs> <laughs> this is Ray, and I just wanted to make a comment that one of the, uh, <clears throat> I worked for almost six years as uh, an adaptive technology specialist with the Chicago Lighthouse for the Blind. And one of the most rewarding things I got to do was to attend a program that was being held at the Helen Keller National Center back at that time, we're talking 2006, called the Magic of Technology. It was a week-long seminar and just incredibly a good amount of not only education about technology, but also about uh, people who are deafblind, the unique uh, needs that they have, the different needs that they have. I really, I really enjoyed getting to uh, uh, go through that program. Yeah. Do we have Do we have any other questions? Okay. I. <laughs> Somebody's moving because we need to get adjourned back here. I'm, I'm not in charge. I'm just a mic guy. Uh, so, uh, okay, uh, okay. Uh, Lori, Karen, what, what comes next? Okay, this is Lori. 
uh, we could sit here for another eight minutes and freeze together. Or um, <laughs> they could be the icebox. Yeah. Or Taryn could give us the closing code, and we can wrap it up and get things underway. I want to thank Brian and as well as the two interpreters for their work. Um, I think this was a very informative program, and please remember, uh, while you may not necessarily benefit yourself, you may have people within your ACD affiliate, uh, whether it be your, your state or your little local chapter in your community, um, that they may be able to benefit from these types of services. Um, and I look forward to seeing everybody throughout the convention week. Also, um, <clears throat> sort of related to rehabilitation, on Wednesday, the Employment Committee will be doing a seminar um, on benefits and uh, going to work and how your Social Security, Medicare, and uh, Supplemental Security Income and Medicaid would be affected as well as how can you save um, and work and not impact your benefits um, or impact them at a lesser degree um, and there will be three benefits counselors they are we are doing uh, i say we because it's myself and two other certified benefits practitioners are doing an hour presentation and then we're doing questions and answers and individual consultations afterwards um, so I look forward to seeing everybody around convention. Have a great day, everybody. And this is Ray, and while Karen's getting our code. Uh, um, I think I have that one. Okay. Okay, we're ready. Two, seven, Bravo, eight, Delta. You can you can repeat it one more time, maybe. Two. Seven, Bravo, eight, Delta.